So, so with that, with that, this is the first time, this is the first time in three weeks. So praise God for the brothers that stepped up to share the word with us over the past several weeks. To Brother Bob Mendelson from Jews for Jesus, who shared about the high priestlyhood of Jesus being after the order of Melchizedek from Hebrews chapter 7, which is a great blessing. I, I really enjoyed watching that online. Then before that, we had our brother Aaron, who was sharing with us from, I believe it was Isaiah 55, taking some very familiar verses, using the example of Job, uh, about how God's thoughts and God's ways are higher than our ways and our thoughts. And then before that, we had our brother Chris Saw, who shared with us about how our, our God's mercies are new every morning, that he is great in his faithfulness from Lamentations 3. Now, if you look at Aaron and Chris's messages, they were somewhat familiar verses to us. And the reason why I asked them to share on something familiar is because, as always, when there's a routine, when there's a, re- a repetition, we become somewhat accustomed to it, and we can lose sight of the wonderful truths that are held within the passages of Scripture. We need to be refreshed. We need to be reinvigorated as we take our time breaking down passages of Scripture and allowing the Spirit of God to minister to our hearts. And today, we are going to do the same. My prayer as we look at today's text is that we will be reinvigorated as we look at our purpose as a church, as we look at our direction as God's people, and as we once again examine the privilege of what we get to be a part of as we walk with God. So I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and then after we do that, could you open your Bibles to Matthew 28. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that we can come before you now and as a family, as a community of believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we can gather here now and hear what you have to say to us through your word. I pray, Father, that you will engage our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you will draw us closer to yourself and that as we hear what your spirit says to us as your church, we will respond accordingly. I pray that you will meet us where we're at and that you will have your will be done in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Matthew 28, last chapter of Matthew, and to provide a bit of context, we have the resurrected Jesus who has revealed himself to his disciples. He has given evidence that he is not some apparition. He is not some disembodied spirit. He is not a figment of their imagination or some mass illusion or anything like this, that he is there in the flesh, a resurrected body. He has appeared to them like in the upper room when the doors were locked and has shown them, this is who I am. This is what I have done. This is where we are going. And I guarantee you now, as they're gathered on this mountaintop in Galilee, that they're excited and they're enthused as the Lord is there. They might be thinking, is he going to establish his kingdom now? Will we be delivered from Roman oppression now? I want to hear what God has to say to us now. And what's really interesting, years ago I showed a little video as Pastor Tony Evans gave a context to this passage and how we as well as the disciples here are invited to these final words of Jesus that we get to have this final lesson specifically directed to us personally about what our Lord desires from us. 
And so we have a look here in, in verse 16 that they're all gathered on this mountaintop. But what I like is in verse 17. See, with all the events that had taken place, with everything that they had witnessed, in verse 17 we read that they all worshipped. They all worshipped. Why? Because they're in the presence of Jesus. And then there's a small phrase in this verse, in the middle of it, and it says, and some doubted. They had just seen the Lord Jesus crucified, nailed to a cross for their sin, for our sin, buried. He was, I mean, he was bleeding. He was buried. They, they pierced his side, and water and blood came gushing out. They saw him be buried in a tomb. Then they saw the t- stone rolled away from the door. They saw him in the flesh. They heard testimony that he had risen, and yet there was still doubt which shows to me just the fickleness and the reality of our own human hearts, isn't it? We see some of the greatest things take place in our own lives, and then when encountered with another issue, we doubt. It's, it's one of those things that is continually needing to be on guard against. We are told within the Scriptures to guard our hearts, to guard our hearts diligently, for from it spring the issues of life. But Regardless of their doubts, regardless of what they think, does nothing to change the reality of who stands before them now. The presence of their doubt does nothing to diminish the greatness of the Lord Jesus. The presence of their doubts does nothing to remove the miraculous that he is capable of and the working that he desires to do within the hearts of his people with the presence of their doubts, doesn't stop him from laying out in verses 18 to 20 what is known as the great commission for his people, the task that he is entrusting to them, the task and the job that he is giving to them as people still full of doubt, still full of worry, and yet God says, don't worry, I'm giving you this, but I'm giving you this for a specific reason. And this is the text that I want us to focus on this morning. From verses 18 to 20, what is known as the Great Commission, read with me from the NIV. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What an amazing commission. What an amazing charge given to not only the disciples here on this mountaintop, but to you and I now. He's speaking to us now. Now, when looking at this coming year, what God has laid upon my heart and what I shared with the the leadership team and and the grace group leaders, the, the thing that God's really burdened my heart for, for us as a church and for us as individuals and for us as as parents and for us as employees and for us as people who just work from day to day and go through our regular task, the thing that God has laid upon my heart, as strange as it may seem and as simple as it may sound, is to get first things first, to have the horse before the cart, to have the head go before the tail, because too many of us as followers of Jesus seem to switch it around. 
We seem to actually prioritize the wrong things, leaving the very most, the, the most important things in our lives as, as secondary things. But you read in Psalm 11.3, what does it say? That when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? It's important for us to be standing on the right foundation from having the right starting point to where we need to be going. And in this case, as the Lord Jesus speaks to his disciples, actually, I, every time I say speaks to his disciples, I want us to sort of think in our minds, as he speaks to me, as he speaks to us, that as the Lord Jesus speaks to us, when he speaks to us, he brings us back to himself. Before he goes on about the task of go therefore and make disciples of all nations, what does he start off with in verse 18? He says that all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. In other words, a vision for a church, a vision for a task, a vision for individuals always begins with Jesus. It has to. It has to. It starts with him. You see, authority is about having the power, the, the legal jurisdiction, or the right to make decisions, to, to settle issues, to, to delegate various things regarding different situations with the parties that are associated with it. A classic case of this is, and you know Faith, my daughter, you know she's not, she's not a big girl. I mean, she's tall, Okay, she's not a big girl. She's, she's, quite, she's quite slim. She's very pretty, okay, because she looks like her mum. But, but, like, so there's my daughter Faith. Now, she comes to the gym with me. And when we first started going to the gym, oh, yeah, she is the weakest person, one of the weakest persons I, I've ever seen. I reckon when I look at, like, Brandon, I reckon Brandon could probably lift more than him, you know, like, okay. So, anyway, I'm not, I'm not insulting my daughter. If my daughter's watching this, I'm sorry. So, so my daughter, she works at a hospital and at, at, at the, the dental area, and she was telling me this this morning. I said, I'm going to use this in the sermon. And she was saying that when people show up to get treatment at the hospital in the emergency department for um, dentistry, they have to take a, an RAT test, a rat test. And I said, if it's positive, what happens? Oh, we tell them to go home. And if it's, you know, if it's negative, they get to come in. And she said, one lady, she says, I'm not having it. They say, I'm not going to have my rat test. And she goes, well, we can't treat you if you don't have it. I don't want to have it. I want to have my treatment, but I don't want to. And she's, she's sitting there making her stand. And my daughter's just saying, look, I'm sorry. Our policy is if you don't take a rat test and if it's negative, you can't come in for treatment. And eventually, and I, said, and I said, so what happened? And she says, I sent her home. And what'd she do? She went home. Was it because Faith looks like me and she's intimidating? And she's like, you better step back. No, it's because she had the authority of the hospital behind her. And even though she could barely lift 10 kilos, she could tell a grown woman, go home. And she went home. This is the authority that was given to her. Doctors have authority given to them by the Australian Medical Association to make calls about our health. Uh, police have the, the to actually to abide by as well as enforce the law, the Australian law in New South Wales. There are different authorities given to different people and they can entrust and, and follow through on, on various things. So when I read what Jesus says in verse 18, what I read are these words. And I want you to notice the all-encompassing nature of these words. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth. 
everything in the heavens and everything on earth, all authority, not some, not most, but all authority has been given to Jesus Christ. Why? Because he made it. He made it. And because he made it, he owns it. You look in John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, through him, meaning through Jesus, all things were made. He has authority because he sustains it. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, we read this. In him, again, in Jesus, all things hold together. He has authority because all creation yearns for his lordship. You read that in Romans 8, verses 22 and 23, how the, the, all creation groans and travails, awaiting his return, awaiting to be redeemed by the Lord Jesus, or at the very least, by creation, they will acknowledge him as Lord. You read in Philippians chapter 2, verse 11, that every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why he has authority. And so as we are standing with the disciples, we can take confidence. We can be fully assured we know him who has complete authority over all creation. You read that in the Gospels. What did he do to the storm? He said, peace, be still. And the storm, silence. He has complete authority over the enemy. What did the demons do in Luke chapter 7 when they saw Jesus? That he, they ran to him and they bowed before him and then they begged him, please don't cast us into the abyss. Please send us into the pigs. And he said, okay. He has complete authority over that. He has complete authority over our circumstances, over any circumstances, even in the circumstance of his very own crucifixion and the darkness and the isolation of taking upon himself my sin. He had authority in this, that in the darkest moments it could be used for his greatest victory a victory that we get to partake of that he did on the cross. And he isn't, he isn't saying this to his disciples about having all authority in heaven and earth to, to, for what's the word, to flex. He's not doing it to flex. I don't, I don't know why I did that one. I'm sorry. To, to show how, how big he is to his followers. No, he, said, he says such things because of what he desires to do with that authority and with that position of authority. Because what does he want to do with it? Does he want to use it just to be separate from us? No, he wants to do it. And when you look at verse 19, you see that there's this vision for us that we get to fulfill, that we get to do. He says, because I have all authority in heaven and on earth, I am giving you a vision to fulfill. And it's a twofold vision that I want us to look at. The first part of that vision is what? Go. That's it. It says go. It's an active word. Going means to traverse. It means to move. It means to actually do something. It means to follow through in an action that you've learned as his follower, or as his disciple. Now, you cannot say that you're a follower of Jesus and stay stationary. You can't. It, it, it just doesn't work. It's like 
this is my complaint. So I'm, I'm okay, I, I know I use this all the time, and, and it doesn't seem to be getting anywhere, and you probably don't see anything at home either, but I'm trying to lose weight, right? But I'm trying to lose weight. I have to admit I've lost one kilo. I've won one kilo, and that's, yeah, I'm still over 120. Thank you. Thank you so much. Standing ovation. Thank you so much. Okay. Now, but here, here's, here's the thing. I'm not going to lose weight if I'm still eating the way I eat. I'm not going to lose weight if I don't get up and go for a walk. I'm not going to lose weight if I don't get out and do the, go to the gym. I'm not going to lose weight if I don't get out and do something. If Jesus says to me, follow, and I sit there and say, okay, and never go anywhere, well, then can I really say I'm a follower of Jesus? If you look at the examples given to us in Matthew chapter 4, we have Peter and Andrew when he says to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, if Peter and Andrew stayed where they were, then they wouldn't be able to call themselves followers, could they? A little bit further on, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were mending their nets. Jesus said to them, follow me. And what did they do? It says, it says this, they laid down their nets and they followed Jesus. That involved them laying down, getting up, and going. When you look at Matthew chapter 9, I believe it is, you have Matthew Levi. He's sitting at this tax collector's booth. Jesus sees him, invites him to follow him. What does Levi do? He lays it down, gets up, and follows. In other words, he goes. He had to go. In each of these cases, they were called to go and follow Jesus, whereby they in turn would then be made by Jesus to be followers of men. We want Jesus to do these amazing works in our lives, to to do these miraculous events within our particular situations. But if we're not getting up and following, then how can Jesus work those things? Because it is when they are following that Jesus does the making. And I want you to notice something. They're following on Jesus' terms, not theirs. According to what he says, not what they say. Uh, I shared this years ago. Remember the, when, when, when Jesus was arrested and Peter follows him, but it says that he follows him from a distance. And I think for a lot of us, that's what we do. We follow Jesus just far enough back that when people say, hey, aren't you a follower of Jesus? You can say, no. No, no, I don't know him. Just far enough, we can say you're following Jesus, but when confronted again, I'm sure you're with him. No, 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 no. Maybe a lot of us as Christians, maybe a lot of us as the church, we follow on our own situations or our own, our, own, our own requirements. No, it's not about what I say. It's about what we are to do. Because what we are then doing when Jesus says to us, go, he says, go therefore into all, into all the world. The second part of this commission is to make disciples. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, and this is the purpose of our existence. This is the purpose for us as a church to go, yes, but to go and make disciples. And this is my vision, and, and what I shared with no, okay, wrong way to say that. I believe this is what God's vision is from the Word for what we do as a church is that we as a church go forth into all the world and make disciples of all nations. To make disciples of of inviting people to come to know and engage with God the way God's engaged with us. To know the heart of Jesus Christ 
as we've come to know the heart of Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's what we're called to do. We're called to make disciples. And the, and the very, I guess you say, the, the, the most basic starting point for us, even as Christians who've been Christians. How many people here have been Christians longer than 10 years? Raise your hand. 20 years, keep your hand up. 30 years? 40? Yes. All the uncles and aunties. I'll, I'll stop at 40. Okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. But even, even this, if, for me, I've been a Christian for 30 years. For 30 years. And when it comes to this whole idea of making disciples, even my knowledge is limited. And each thing is different in each context. But that doesn't mean that I can just say, well, I don't know what to do, therefore I'll stop. No, no, this is part of us being a disciple-making church. That's what I want to share with you today. I can, I can give you a dictionary definition of what a disciple is. Uh, and if you look at the Hebrew, uh, sort of uh, the New Testament sort of original text, in its most simplistic form, the word disciple means a learner. I can give you a textbook response on how a disciple is made. Like we use that phrase, doing life together. And I can lay out biblically for you what a disciple is supposed to do. Like Luke 14, 33, he's supposed to sort of cast everything to the side and follow him. Because no man putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I can look at 1 Peter 1, 15, that uh, is he who has called you is holy, so be holy in, every, in all manner of conduct. We can look at 1 Peter 3, 15, to sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you the question for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. All good things, but... If we don't properly keep these things in check, what I mean by that is if we take this, I guess, okay, dictionary definition answer, a text response, and lay out, and everything laid out for us biblically, if we don't keep it in check, meaning if we look at that as just a checklist to mark off, then what we end up becoming is a Pharisee. Then what we can end up becoming is a person that has a legalistic attitude. We end up becoming religious instead of relational with the Lord Jesus. That's the reason why it always goes back to Jesus. It always goes back to himself. You see, the biblical truth is supposed to engage our hearts. It's supposed to connect our souls to the living God. It's supposed to align our spirits with the Spirit of God. As the whole reason why God says this in Isaiah 1.18, come, let us, what? Reason together. That's relational. It's, it's, why, it's why he says to me in John, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's, he's more interested in the, the relational. Okay, so be, what's that one where he says? He says, those that come to me, I will in no wise cast out. So the point of being a disciple-making church is about us reproducing the vibrant, the life-giving, the, the overflowing relational relationship we share with the Lord into the lives of others. It's about... And we hear this phrase, reproducing reproduces, right? Reproducing reproduces. Here is my question. If you were to ask yourself, if you were to ask yourself and look at your own spiritual life and look at how you're investing into your kids or whatever and think about this, 
Would you want another Joe walking around you know, in, 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 in this spiritual condition? Would you have a look? Would you be content? Would you think that if I saw another one of me here spiritually, would I be encouraged and excited or worried about what he was going to do? You see, we, we need to be able to, part of being a disciple-making church, yes, it is about relationship. Yes, it is about involving ourselves and others, but we want to be involving ourselves with each other for the right reasons, to be able to build people up in the Lord, to be able to deepen their relationship with the Lord. But you can only give to others that which you yourself have experienced, that which you yourself have tasted. It's like what Watchman Nee says in his book, Ministry of the Word. He says, if all I have is knowledge, then all I can impart is knowledge. If all I have is information, then all I can impart is information. That's all he said. That if that's all I've experienced, that's all I can give. But if I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if I, if I know that he's like, what, uh, there's a, we used to sing this back at our church in New Zealand, the one that, um, sweet honey in the rock, sweet honey in the rock. For he tastes like honey in the rock. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. For he tastes like honey in the rock. Thank you very much. Now, here's the thing, though. Like, what honey are you giving? What honey am I giving? Do people know and taste the sweet honey in the rock that I know in Jesus? Or when they taste it through me, it's bitter? Okay, that, that's, that's why it's so important. So important. If we want to be a disciple-making church, one, be open to being discipled from somebody else. Be open to being discipled from somebody else. And someone comes alongside and says, bro, let's, let's grow together. Let's walk together. Let's not live together. But I'm, you know what I mean? I'm saying let, let, let's go through this together. I mean, because when you look at the examples, if you look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, this is what Paul says to Timothy. He says this, The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. This is all about reproducing reproducers. It's about investing into people who then in turn can go and invest into others. That's what we're going to look at doing. But the question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? What steps can we take? Uh, I used to say this many years ago. Uh, I used to say how a wise man learns from his own mistakes and a wiser man learns from the mistakes of others. Now that I'm a bit older, I realize how stupid that is. Mainly for the fact that firsthand, uh, John Bevere said this, firsthand revelation is always better than secondhand information. There are things that people need to come to know themselves. I cannot experience God for you. I cannot go deeper in the Lord for you. I cannot know God better for you. That's you. That's you. Only you can experience that deepness and that intimacy. I can tell you about it. I can tell you about, man, this is what I get to enjoy. For example, I've been, I've been meeting on Wednesday mornings with, with uh, Tommy and with Brad, and, and Chris came along one time, and we pray on Wednesday mornings. Just sit down, talk, share, maybe read the Word a bit, and then and pray. They probably don't realize this, but that is one of the greatest blessings I have in the week. Of knowing these brothers... And of seeing their growth, and, and prayerfully they see growth in me as well, but I am greatly blessed by them investing into my life. That, that's essentially a discipleship relationship 
where we learn and grow with each other. If they come along, I'm greatly blessed. If they don't come along, I'm still greatly blessed because then I get to just be with God myself as well. But you know what that involves? See, that, that wasn't me initiating that. That was Tommy. Tommy Boy was the one who actually said, hey, let's do this. I said, yeah, bro. And, and I have been blessed from that. But once again, like I, I can tell you about it, but you need to experience such things for yourself. Tommy's learned lessons. Sorry, Tommy didn't know I was talking about him today, but Tommy's learned lessons in the past few years that God has grown him in immensely. And because he's going through it, I didn't go through that with him or for him. He went through that himself, and God has brought him out the other end for his glory, which I think is absolutely amazing. And if you want to know about what it is to disciple somebody, well, let's, okay, let's look. The, disciple, the principles of discipleship as demonstrated by Jesus is that you see a life lived with his disciples, of walking with his disciples, of investing into his disciples, of sending his disciples out to have a go at trying stuff. Now, and I shared this with you. I'm reading this book from our library. We have some great books in the library. I'm going to share some things with you. There's this great book in the library, and it's by Richard Foster. But he talks about the, the with God life. The with God life. And how we serve a God that desires to be with you. He desires to be with you. Not to know about you, but to be with you. And he goes, God was with Adam and Eve in the garden. God was with Noah. God was with Enoch. God was with Joshua. And then he says, when Jesus came, he was called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God desires us to live a life with him. And he desires to live that life with us too. And this is the starting point for us this year. Becoming a disciple-making church is to know, firstly, what a disciple is. Who is I, I took this from Jono. A disciple knows and follows Christ. A disciple is being changed by Christ. And a disciple is committed to the mission of Christ. But this means this, okay? In each of our contexts, whether parents with little kids, whether grandparents with grandkids, whether no kids at all, whether workers, employers, all that sort of stuff, each of us have the opportunity, have the position to, and the avenue to be able to disciple and be discipled in some way and in some context and in some manner. And that everything we should do as a church should be along those lines. So here we go, some real basic things. Some real basic things. We've got a pen, write these down. We've got a phone, type it out. But here's what I want us to do as we look at becoming a disciple-making church for 2022 and beyond, and beyond. Now, Jono shared this. There is no fixed prescription. Actually, there's a wonderful example. Uh, Henry Blackaby said this. How many times does God repeat a miracle in the Bible? How many times? The exact same way. How many times does he repeat a miracle in the Bible? The only example I can think of at the top of my head was when Elisha and Elijah walk over the river. So and when, when Elijah leaves, he takes off his cloak, smacks the water, water parts, and they cross over. Then Elijah gets taken into heaven in chariots of fire, and his cloak falls down, and Elisha picks it up. And because he asked Elijah for a double portion of the spirit, he goes to the same thing, smacks it with the cloak, and then walks over. That's the only one I can think of. I mean, God only spoke to Moses from a burning bush. He didn't speak to anyone else that way. 
if you notice, he never repeats himself. He never repeats himself. He's just doing those things over. So, just, so in, even in regards making a disciple-making church or, or having that focus of, of making disciples, it's going to be different for everybody because we're all individuals. This church, okay, this church is completely different to my church back in New Zealand. All right? And so what, work may, what may have worked in that church there may not work here because we're all unique. And it's important for us then to do this if we're going to look at doing this for this coming year. First thing is this. Pray. Pray. If everything begins with Jesus, if it's Jesus' vision that we need to follow, then we need to ask him, how do we do this? How do we do this? If without him we can do nothing, John 15, 5 says, then we need to go to him to get something. Okay, so that's first one, pray. Secondly, let's equip ourselves. Equip ourselves. Equip ourselves reading the Word of God, studying biblical examples. Equip ourselves by reading the various authors, some great godly men. Equip ourselves by talking to older people like Pastor John and and Uncle Eugene and Uncle Fred and all these people who have lived with the Lord for over 40 years. And the experiences that we could glean from them and and have them invest into, into our lives. Look at... Look at those, those examples. Look at spend time in, in the Word and ask the Lord to, to show you in His Word as one of His disciples and, and, as, and as one has been discipled how we can go about this. We can listen to sermons. We can take advantage of, of brothers and sisters that we have access to. I mean, for example, we have Pastor Roger coming today. I invite you to come along. I invite you to come along. Pastor Roger, he has a real heart, and I've seen him disciple youngsters who he knew in year six and seven who are now leaders within his church. Why? Because he has walked with them and taught them, and he sent them out to go do the same thing. I've seen, uh, for example, Pastor Roy. Pastor Roy. I've known Pastor Roy since he was 17 years old, running camps out at Word of Life in Wiseman's Fair at the time. Now he's a pastor at Alawa over by the airport. And I think, wow, that's amazing. I called Cape and Ray Bible College because Cape and Ray Bible College um, down in Southern Highlands, I was going to go stay there um, before the wedding got uh, postponed. And so I called up Cape and Ray at the Bible College. And he says, look, I'm a pastor. I just got to stay down there. Can I, how much is it for the night? And they told me, oh, great, can I stay there? Then I get a call from, from uh, Cape and Ray. Guy gets up there and he goes, Joe, Joe. And I says, bro, what are you, what's up, man? He goes, it's Adam. Hey, Adam. And he, he's now the director of that Bible college. I've known him since he was a teenager. And he goes, I heard you come in. I'll give you a discount, man. And I, says, yeah. I was like, sweet, bro, sweet. I'm keen, I'm keen. So, but then, yeah, then the wedding was postponed, so now I've got to go off later. But he's invited me along. and says, bro, you can come and lecture one of my classes. I said, yeah, man, I'm sweet. I'm sweet. But you know what I mean? And you just see how, how God can work. So we have these things made available to us. Take advantage of them. Take advantage of them. Have avenues that we're looking to actually implement, whether go working in the community. Take advantage of them. Because here's the thing. We can do all of these things here. We can hear the call. We can equip ourselves. But then we have to do something about it. We have to model it by example. And this is something we as a leadership are doing. Like I've, 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 I've started speaking to people and, and, and except a particular brother that doesn't want to talk with me. We've been trying to talk now for the last couple of weeks. But, uh, yeah, but let's just step out. And it doesn't have to be, I'm following up on you to disciple you. No, I'm following up on you because you're my brother or you're my sister. I love you. Let's walk together. Let's walk together. And we model that 
by example. Gee, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.16, to follow me even as I am a follower of Christ. Or the NIV says, to imitate me. People learn by what they see, not by what was said. Your children learn about how much God can be trusted by how much you trust God as their parent. Your children learn how much you prioritize God in your life. Sorry, how to prioritize God in life by how much you prioritize God in your life. That's how your children learn, and people are no different. We want to be able to, we want to be people that model what it's like to live by faith. We want to be people that, that model what it's like to walk in the Spirit. We want to be people that model what it's like to live a, a holy life, to, to know His power, His resurrection power, and the fellowship of His sufferings. Um, so Pastor Fritz, he used to be a model, okay? He used to be a model, so he used to walk down, he used to do that whole model walk, sit there and then go, and all that sort of stuff. It was amazing, it was amazing. But what he would do is that when Pastor Fritz... He would, he would have the clothes on, and the way they would walk and the way they would spin and twirl on the catwalk was to show the functionality of what, the, of what he was wearing, whether the jacket he wore flowed, the way it sat on his shoulders, all that sort of stuff. Now, those are his words, not mine, okay? So anyway, 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 what I'm saying is this. The model of a life of discipleship means this, that me, we need to step out. I look at Pastor John's life and I see a life of discipline and of holiness and of sanctification. I see it modeled in Pastor John's life and Auntie Kathleen's life. I see it modeled as how it can look. And while I may not exactly follow it, I know the ideas and the themes and the biblical principles behind it. See, when somebody tells you how to do something, you think, okay, but when somebody shows you how it's done, there we go. That's how I, that's how I learn. You can tell me, but you have to show me. When it's shown to me, okay, I... I get a bit, bit clearer of an understanding of what to do, okay? So we model it, and then we do it. We do it. With the, with the limited, we don't have to have all the answers. What we do need to do is step out by faith. What does Hebrews 11, 6 say? That, that it's faith that pleases God. We step out by faith. That'll please him. When we're moving, then he can direct us. So with the limited knowledge we do have, even in the midst of we're learning, we have to actually be doing something. Like Nike says, just do it. Thus, we want to be looking to invest into the hearts of others, into the lives of others, into the minds of others, to bless others. Like Paul says in Romans 1.11, to impart a spiritual gift. I want to impart the gift of encouragement to my brother Saeed. I want to impart the gift of, of example to, to my sister Grace. I want to impart the, the gift of the beauty of the knowing of who the Lord is in intimacy as I, as I taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to do that so other people will not only just hear about it, but see what is done. And so let's work together in taking those steps. Let's spend time praying. Let's spend time equipping ourselves. Let's spend time starting to model that. And, and like I said a few weeks ago, it has to happen little by little. It's not going to be one big thing. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 22, it's going to be little by little, but it has to start somewhere. And which just brings me to my final thing. If you look back at verse 20, this is what I like. I mean, and us taking these steps of us connecting with others, with us engaging with others beyond a Sunday morning and beyond what's comfortable for us. Because when you think about it, Jesus went far beyond what's comfortable for him to bring us to himself. Well, then, I love at the end of verse 20, he says, 
I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, it starts with Jesus and it finishes with Jesus. It starts with him who gives us the authority to do and it finishes with him enabling us to do it. That's the blessing. That's the blessing. As Jesus does it with us and as we do it together with him, it's a wonderful example for us to do it together as well. Let's take an active role in doing so. Let's have the active role of calling each other out in love when we drop the ball in this. Let's, let's be open and honest and vulnerable for the benefit of the body of Christ with this whole purpose and intent of being disciple makers to equip and to be equipped to see our acts from the perspective of a biblical worldview. And I want to close with this one quote by a, dude, by a guy named Alan Keyes. He says this, It is not for us to calculate our victory or fear. Oh, sorry. Start again. It is not for us to calculate our victory or fear our defeat, but to do our duty and leave the rest in God's hands. It is not for us to calculate our victory or fear our defeat, but to do our duty and leave the rest in God's hands. So instead of thinking, oh, this may not work. Oh, we've tried it before. Oh, it's going to fall out of flat on our face. Oh, it's useless. I don't know. Instead of worrying about all of that, let's just do what God has called us to. As we read the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. So let's look at doing that and leave the rest. In God's hands. And I guarantee you this, God will do something. God will do something. As we stand here in your presence, we thank you that it is you and only you that we will acknowledge and take to heart this day that you are God of heaven above and of the earth below and that there is no other. We stand here before you and ask to have your way with us that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that you, Lord, will take us from where we are now and mold us and shape us into a vessel that is pleasing in your sight. May we truly be a people that will fulfill the Great Commission. May we be a people that are mission-minded. May we be a people that are sanctified by your love and a, a wonderful testament to your grace to the world around us. We ask for you to dismiss us now in the name of the mighty Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.